Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Please, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, two texts this morning, Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to go to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Matthew chapter 18, uh, just before we read it as you're turning to that, I honestly was going in a different direction uh, earlier this week, my plan for today. And then just the events of this week, really the events of the last few weeks, caused me to realize we really need to, we're talking about prayer, we need to pray for our nation. We need, so today's that's what it's about. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for every person who calls Canada their home. We need to pray. Much of the nation will not be in prayer for the nation. Much of the nation will not call on the name of Jesus to intervene. And those who can need to. We need to pray for our country. Not just casting up a prayer, God help Canada. God help our leaders. God change their life. And that might be part of our prayers. But we need to pray for this nation. And so today I just, again, made an adjustment, turned the corner, and I want to talk today, the title of my message today, Canada, We Stand on Guard. It's a declaration. Canada, we stand on guard. I want to ask a question, and I am asking for a response. That means with a hand. How many here... Thank God that you live in Canada. Did you express it? Okay. As much as you may not agree with everything, I thank God for this country. I thank God that he has placed me in this country. And I thank God he has placed you in this country. We are a country that I think has some of the greatest advantages of any country in the world. With the diversity of this country, together we represent God's children. And that's exciting. And I, 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 so we need to hold this country up. And so let's read these two verses. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. You're going to recognize this from last week. Again, I tell you, Jesus speaking, again, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I in, there am I with them. I just want to back that up again. Just go through that slowly. Just, let's go back to that. Again, that means he's been telling them. I tell you, if, not everybody will, two of you agree on together, then he's talking two or more. Agree. You got you to come together to agree about anything you're asking. So when you ask Come into agreement. It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I want you to note two things here that you may have passed over. Did you note, if two of you agree on where? In case this is news to anybody, we are here on earth. And in case this is new, God is everywhere. So the heavens are the depiction is the earth and beyond. So you have two things. If you agree here... What you feel is limited, and it is limited, 
But here, catch this. May we just catch a revelation on this one. If in our limited ability, I'm one person, I can only do so much here on earth. My feet are planted on this earth. From here I was born, from here I will die. This earth, note that. If two of you agree on this earth, if two of you on earth agree in your prayers, then my Father in everything beyond here will move in and bring to pass. See, I can't accomplish much. But when I come into agreement with others, the accomplishment's there because God moves in. You see that? So note the part, on earth and heaven, on earth and heaven. As I agree, God has partnered. He says, now I will interfere with the affairs of what you're doing and make change according to what you're asking. Isn't that great? 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is Paul's last letter. Paul if you read any introduction, any commentary leading up to this, Paul is eminently aware of his death. His death is, he's in prison. There's rumors that they're going to take him out anytime. And he's writing this letter and he's well aware this could be his last letter to Timothy. Timothy is one who he's nurtured in the faith. He called him my son. Well, he wasn't biologically his son, but he was spiritually his son. And this whole letter, is it's kind of like when you have something to say, pay attention to some of the last words people have to say because they're really just paring it all down in those last words. Paul does that. We start his letter off, 2 Timothy 1, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, this, these two verses make so much more sense and more impactful when you realize they were written at the zenith of the Nero revolution in Rome, where he was lighting up the stadiums by sticking Christians on poles. This is right in the middle of that. There is bedlam around the world, fear regarding leaders. And he writes this. Let's read it again now. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings. He was under a very ungodly king. And all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness, all holiness. Canada, we stand on guard. I want to talk about unity. What is unity? What does it mean to be united together? There is a belief that when God pours out his spirit, there's a belief that when the church is in renewal or revival, then there will be unity in the body of Christ. I want to propose the opposite is true. Unity is the cause for revival. You don't have renewal and revival first and unity follows. You won't find that. You will find that when there is unity, there is renewal and revival. Where there's disunity... God doesn't dwell. That's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, he says, if you've got something against them, deal with it. 
You need to be unified when you come into prayer. That's why he talks about our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he early, if you don't forgive others, there can't be answer to these prayers. So unity is a prerequisite for God to move. If we refuse, if we do things just on our own, because by George, I have a right, and we refuse unity. Now, we're not talking uniformity. We're going to get to that. We're talking, we come together and we pray together in unity. God will move. You think of the early church, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. When the believers were in agreement, they sit in one accord. I came from Honda town a few years ago, and we used to always make, you know, we laughed, you know, when, when you drive a, an accord, you're in one accord. When the believers were together in one accord, when there was unity, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came. When we pursue unity, we listen, when we pursue unity, you have to pursue it. It won't come natural. When you pursue unity, you create a framework necessary for God to send his spirit to change lives. Go back. Let's read that verse again that we read back in Matthew 18. Note that it said, if two of you, I mean two or more, agree on earth agree about what you ask for. It will be done for you by my Father in the heavenlies. For where two or three come together in my name, I'm there. No, he didn't say when you're by yourself doing it all on your own. He didn't say he's there. Now, God does answer prayer. But note what he's trying to do. He's talking to something bigger here. We talked of different intensifying levels of prayer. And coming into agreement is one of the greatest intensity levels of prayer for the body of Christ. So, unity. We create a framework necessary for God to move. I want to use a practical illustration of our physical bodies. Some of you are familiar with the expression lymphoma tumors. Under a microscope, and you see a picture here, under a microscope of a lymphoma tumor, seems composed of healthy fat cells, bulging, shiny cells, oil pockets. These cells in our body function beautifully except for one flaw. When it comes to lymphoma tumors, the flaw is these cells, these particular cells, choose to become disloyal. Cells in my body somehow become rebels. In their activity, these cells disregard the body's needs and they pursue only their immediate needs. Then a dreaded thing begins to occur in the body. We're just going to call it what it is. It's a mutiny resulting in a tumor. Where do tumors come from? Right here. Tumors are from cells that choose to function outside the need of the body. They function only for their own need. And it results in a tumor. It derives from a single fat cell skilled in its lazy role of simply storing fat. It rebels against the leadership of the body. Instead of just doing what the body needs to do, it rebels and refuses to give up its reserves. It takes but doesn't give. It accepts deposits but ignores withdrawal slips. And as these cells multiply, 
The daughter cells follow the lead of the mother cell and tumors begin to grow. That's where tumors begin to grow like a fungus. And as that tumor grows, it begins to fill in crevices, press against the muscles and vital organs of the body. Unregulated cell division. This lymphoma tumors, unregulated. They're selfish, they give, but they don't, they take, but they don't give back. Unregulated cell divisions is not growth. We have a name for it. It's called cancer. It's called cancer. I guess here's the point. When we as God's children take but don't give, when we seek my good, my way, praying only for me, and not reaching out, and caring and praying and meeting the needs of others, God said it, I cannot dwell among you. If it's about you, I can't dwell. That's why it's so imperative when he calls to come together and begin to agree together. Now, you won't agree with everybody. Didn't say that, never said that. But you need to initiate the coming together, the body functioning as a body together. And when we do, when we seek not simply our own good, but we reach out to others, then God does dwell in our midst. Unity is not the result of revival. When unity comes, revival has a place to dwell. When there is unity, God moves and dwells among his people. So I'm going to suggest when there is pulling apart, could it be there's a disunity that we don't have the dwelling of God. Where there's unity, he will dwell. When unity comes, revival has a place to dwell. I want to use another illustration. You ever been to a high school orchestra where they did a concert? You know, your kids who were in, in music and they practiced all year on the instrument and then you go at that particular concert and and it's, you know, a high school or auditorium or wherever it is, and they do a performance for you. <laughs> and it's a mixed blessing, isn't it? I mean, you're really happy to see these kids growing in their music, but some of it's rough. You get, ever get there? So you get there a half an hour early. And it is, I, I'm not going to recommend it. Don't get there half an hour early. Get there when they start. You get there half an hour early, it's Bedlam. The sounds you hear are terrible. Everybody's doing their own thing on the stage. The drums are knocking out all kinds of different rhythms on the stage. The flutes are screaming away, doing their, they're whistling away, driving you nuts. The trombones are going back and forth, all the wind instruments back and forth. It is a mess. It's bedlam. 30 minutes before the concert. Yet something amazing happens when the conductor gets up and with the baton in his white-gloved hand, taps it on the stand, things quieten down, and dramatically, a song comes out of it all. It's called music. It's called music. We go to concerts to enjoy the harmony of a concert. We do not go to a concert for the unison. We would quickly tire of the monotony of a concert. 
probably walk out of the concert if every instrument in the place played exactly the same note, same beat, same volume. It would be monotonous. The wonder of a symphony arises from the unity of its diversity. Tracking with me. We love to hear the interplay. We love the contrasting melodies taking place. The tones of the flutes and the drums. The trumpets and the trombones. We delight in the complexity and sometimes outrageous blend of the keyboard with the violinist, with the tuba. So there's no unison there. If it was, it wouldn't be a very good concert. Each instrument is so unique. But when under the, under the training of a great conductor, when all of those unique instruments come together with their distinctiveness, their distinct notes, weld and meld together, seamlessly you create what's called a song. It's one voice comes up. The one voice can be pleasing, can be pleasing, but it's not unity. Now that is unity, but not because of uniformity. They are all are very different, but they come together in one voice. Now let's think of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I look at a crowd here. I'm sure those in live stream, you look around and we're probably fairly different from a lot of people in this room. Our uniquenesses, our pleasures, our loves, how we sound, very different. Don't try to make everybody sound like you. And you don't have to sound like just like them either. But in your uniqueness, God wants us together. Together, we make a symphony. It's called harmony. And in that harmony, it rises, the Bible says it rises as sweet aroma before God. Sweet aroma before him. And in our giftings, our giftings working together for the purpose of the body. Not a cancerous tumor that says, I'm going to take and not give. But no, I'm going to be a conduit and flow to meet the needs of others. In so doing, we become a symphony, an orchestra. We are beautiful in his sight. It comes back to Matthew 18, 19. I'm trying to describe it here. Jesus says, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for it will be done for you by my father in heaven for where two or three come together in my name i'm there i'm there there are different words in the bible if you look at a concordance you can see how many times they're mentioned and if they're mentioned a lot they're probably a huge emphasis on them for instance the word tithe the giving of the 10% returning of the 10% appears 24 times in scripture Offerings, above and beyond. The offerings are mentioned 265 times. Fasting and prayer, each of them, fasting mentioned over 100 times and prayer is mentioned over 100 times. Now, these are obviously important words and concepts. Well, I thought I'd take a look. How many times was the word together? Matthew 18, 20. It says, for where two or three come together. I thought, I wonder how many times the word together is mentioned. I discovered together is mentioned 484 times. 484. And the two words together come together 97 times. That means something. Let me just give you some of them. 
because I found it interesting. You may or may not, but they come together. They suffer together. They were known to sing together. They went to war together. They joined together. They were tempered together. They assembled together. They dwelled together. They pitched together, met together, called together, were knit together, wrapped together, and I don't mean wrapping, wrapped together, congregated together, sang together, took counsel together, fashioned together, were known to stick together, and were at rest together. They were joyful together, consulted together, compacted together, lived together. They stood together, pleaded together, drew near together, bowed down together, fed together, cried together. They were brought together, they walked together, they grew together, they sat together, they agreed together, they communed together, went forth together, banded together, planted together, glorified together, labored together, were workers together, quickened together, framed together, bound together. They were built together, they were heirs together, they were elected together, and they were made to sit together in heavenly places. Wow! I need to take a breath after that. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three come together in my name, I'm there. God intends there to be coming together. Unity is not the total absence of conflict. That's called a truce. Unity is agreeing, Jesus would say. Agree with your adversary while you're still walking together. Agree with your adversary while you're walking together. Unity. I invite us. Let's unite together as a body in prayer. Come together in one spirit with one voice before God. Can we pray for this nation of Canada together? You know, it's difficult in these days to know what is really going on across this nation. Uh, there is such biased reporting through our MSM, our mainstream media. We don't know what to believe. But we don't have to know what to believe right across the nation. You have to know what's happening amongst your neighborhoods your places of work, it'll give you an indication of what's happening across our nation. Our hearts become stirred that we would come together and pray. We would agree together. We agree together for God's will for Canada. I was really stirred. And really what was the, what was the turning point for me this week to talk about Canada, we stand on guard was a couple of posts came up from somebody I deeply admire. I, his father, Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, who continued the ministry. And he wrote regarding his northern neighbors, us Canadians. And he was talking, he was concerned about the division in Canada. Leadership, right on through. And I was thinking, you know, if my brother south of the border, who I deeply respect and say that, we as north of the border can really make a concerted effort, concerted effort, come together and to pray. And it took me actually to 1 Kings chapter 3. I don't turn, I'm not going to read it, but I'll tell you the story. 1 Kings chapter 3 is a story of two mothers. 
who had only one baby between them. Now, both mothers had a baby, but one of the babies died. So both mothers were vying for the one baby, the baby that was alive. And a huge argument had ensued, and it became a big issue in so much that it was brought before the king to solve. What was the problem? Two mothers claiming that baby's theirs. And neither one would relent. That's my baby. No, that's my baby. No, that's my baby. That's my baby. That baby belongs to me. That baby belongs to me. Back and forth it went. Back and forth it went. So the king made a decision. Solomon said, because both of you say that baby's yours, and the only way to solve this, because you both want the baby, but you both can't have the baby, but what we can do is we can cut the baby in half, and you can still have some of the baby. Now, that's pretty gruesome, I know. You can have a half a baby, and you can have a half a baby. So you really want the baby, and so you will cut the baby in half. The real mother identified herself at that point in time. Not by saying, that's my baby. Not by her screams. How did the real mother identify herself in that moment? By her sacrifice. Track with me. The real mother identified herself by her sacrifice. She was not willing for that baby to die. So she was prepared to let that baby go. She was prepared to watch that baby grow up under another mama. She was prepared to let that baby develop friends without any of her influence on that child. She was prepared for that baby to discover a career, maybe a career after another family. She was prepared to sacrifice that baby, ever knowing its biological mother, for the sake of the baby. You're tracking with me? I think regarding us, we are those among us when we forego our own pride, our self-will, our inflated egos. We refuse to divide the family. We refuse. And we will sacrifice. We will sacrifice even if we don't directly benefit from it so that the family lives, so that they live. They will grow. They will survive. It's not about me. It's about the family. It's about the body. I refuse to be cancerous. I desire the body to grow. I really believe that anyone who is not willing to forego their pride, forego their self-will, forego their inflated eagles, anyone who would rather divide the family, divide a friendship, divide a church, divide a nation is not part of God's body. They're not. Much of what happened in the story of Genesis 19 is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah are cities that had become utterly and absolutely corrupt, that God couldn't find any righteous man, woman, or child in those cities. They had all utterly forsaken God. There seemed to be no place for them turning back. There was no repent or remorse in their hearts anymore. They were on the brink of destruction. And yet in Genesis 19, in the story, I think maybe the greatest tragedy of the story is a guy by the name of Lot. 
He's nephew of great Abraham. And the Bible says Lot sat at the gate. He had an authority position at the gate of the city. Now, a gatekeeper to the city, the cities had walls. The gatekeeper determined who gets in. And he was one of the gatekeepers. It was usually held for the elders of the city. He was one of the gatekeepers. He has a measure of control of what gets in to the city. And yet, what a poor picture we have. If the city is so corrupt, gatekeeper, what were you doing? Gatekeeper, where were you? We don't know what took place. We don't know why the city was utterly evil, even though you had a righteous man purportedly sitting at the gate determining who gets in. We don't know all of it. Perhaps Lot himself was preempted by peer pressure. We know that he had a propensity for the people of the city, the life of the city. He chose that versus the hills. We don't understand all that stuff. Why did he become a man of lukewarm faith? Why did he become a man who just let things happen? Why did he become that? We don't know. We don't know. I don't know anyway. Perhaps he thought, it's all I can do just to preserve my own household. I can't make a big difference on a city. However, I want to propose that if you can't protect a city in some regard, you will not protect your household either. His household didn't fare very well. He had two daughters that fled with him, and they were so corrupt because of what he allowed in that city. They were so corrupt. They sexually seduced their father. They had babies. They called one baby Moab, the other baby Ammon. They became tribes people, the Moabites and the Ammonites, some of the two of the worst tribes ever. He didn't even protect his own family. I want to suggest that when you think in terms of God's kingdom, it will change the way you view things. I believe we've been called to be gatekeepers. It's right in our anthem. Canada. We stand on guard. It's right there. God needs spiritual gates people for our nation. Spiritual gate people. That we, on behalf of our country, cry out to God. We come together. And we pray for our nation. I was mentioning this to, to our, our team, uh, our volunteers, at quarter to ten this morning. One of the volunteers came up and said, uh, just through they've been hearing, different areas that they've been hearing, they said, something bad is about to happen in our nation today. And I asked the person, I said, did you hear this through, through media or postings or, or just sensing in the spirit? And it was kind of like both. It was both something... We And so this is, this is timely. This is timely. Canada, we stand at the gate spiritually on guard for you. Much of our nation can't do it if they don't have Christ. But I have Christ living in me. You have Christ in you. And together when we begin to stand guard spiritually and otherwise for our nation, God begins to move. He said he would. Then from the heavenlies he moves in. And he makes a difference in the nations. If the, gate if the gatekeepers, our local churches, and I know Cornerstone can't do it by itself, but I don't believe we are doing it by ourselves. If the gatekeepers, the local churches here, take our stand together, then the body of Christ can have an indelible impact on what comes in and gets put out of our cities in our nation. So it comes back to 
God, keep our land glorious and free. Oh, Canada, we stand on guard for thee. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca